Welcome back as we continue to talk about preaching. In the first session, we talked about the purpose of preaching, what we're actually trying to accomplish. The second session, we went through um, kind of a lot with regard to crafting a sermon. What does it look like to go through that process? What things do we need to keep in mind? In this session, we shift gears a bit, and we're going to talk about the heart of the preacher um, and, and specifically like preparing our hearts to preach. And um, I think if someone's in a rush to kind of get their sermons ready, um, this becomes something you feel like you can leave off, leave out. Um, but man, it is so, so important um, to get our hearts right in this whole thing. I would say some sort of heart evaluation is crucial in every sermon prep cycle that we do. Um, definitely, we want to do it in a general sense, like be preparing our hearts to be godly people. Um, but it just kind of like reminding ourselves of what we're doing when we preach. And, and there's like a spiritual weight to standing up in front of people, um, people who are made in the image of God, people who are who desperately need a relationship with God and a connection with God and to hear a word from God. And for us to stand there and be those um, mediators in a sense, the ones that are kind of delivering that message or at least providing the opportunity for someone to hear from God, um, it's quite a task. And um, I think we can all see like how harmful it, it can be for someone with the wrong heart to preach. You might say the right words, you might have a great theology, but if you're tone and your attitude and your posture towards the Lord and towards the people that you're there um, preaching to is off, um, that can be spiritually devastating. I, I, I can think of so many times where I've encountered preachers who um, I think are saying decent theology, but they're doing it in a way that, man, they just, they just exude arrogance. Um, or they or they exude hatred uh, or something towards other people. There's this um, demeanor where they're looking down uh, on people, where they're trying to lift themselves up or where they're trying to be clever. Like we can think of a, a thousand uh, examples of, of ways you could go wrong in your heart, like your posture towards preaching. And I would say, um, I would say that in some ways, the heart uh, in this matters more than the content. Now you could argue, um, that, you know, Paul, Paul talks about in Philippians 1, how there's other people that are preaching the gospel from enmity and, enmity and strife. And he says, like, um, you know, like, whatever. The bottom line is, as long as Christ is being preached, um, then that's all that matters. And so there's a sense in which, yes, if God's word is going forth, God's word does not return void. That's super important. But here's the thing. We get a choice of what our heart posture is going to be towards God. And I've seen a lot of people do a lot of damage through uh, making the, the sermon about themselves, um, preaching in a way that draws attention to themselves or that tries to give them a, a boost or an ego trip or something. And it can just be devastating. And, and look, I'm pointing around at all. I've, oh, I've heard all these other preachers do these things. I can tell you uh, pride is a constant attack on my own heart and um, it keeps popping its head up. And I keep um, having to fight off this this sense of like, okay, if I preach well, then I'm significant or I've accomplished something. And it it's silly to step back and look at like, really, like what, what about this makes you uh, accomplished or important or better than anybody else? It really is um, a stupid thing. But, but I mean, that's the whole thing. Sin, sin is stupid. Pride is stupid. Um, if we really consider who God is and, um, and what he's doing and, and what he's inviting us into and, and our posture before him and what he calls us to, um, then our prideful attitudes are absolutely ridiculous, but that doesn't stop it from creeping in. So this is, a lot of this is autobiographical. I'm trying to talk through the ways that I'm trying to get my heart up before God. But I just want to say before we start off, like the idea of cultivating like a sense of gratitude, um, the idea of cultivating a sense of humility before the Lord, um, uh, cultivating 
uh, like the the idea of the gravity of what we're doing when we get up to preach, like that requires, I think, regular rhythms of prayer and evaluation before the Lord. So get your heart right before every sermon you preach, but also in general, as you approach the act of preaching, let's find ways to put ourselves in the right frame. So a few things that I want to walk through. First of all, I want to give you uh, something that I learned from Francis Chan. He has an article um, in, in something he teaches through from time to time that's called Seven Questions I Ask Myself Before I Preach. And I think these seven questions are extremely helpful um, because, you know, he's there, he's a very accomplished um, preacher. And so he, he actually knows what it's like to preach really well, preach in a way that affects people's lives deeply, that transforms lives, um, preach in a way that receives a lot of praise, also in a way that receives a lot of criticism. And I think his points uh, are great, his seven questions. So I'm just going to walk through these. The first one is, he asks, am I concerned about pleasing God or people? So before we get up to preach, um, whether it's like the morning of or whether it's like week the week of as we prepare, asking ourselves, am I, am I trying to please God or am I trying to please people? If we're trying to make people happy um, or, or like build ourselves up by making them like us or something like that, if our goal is to pre- please the people, we're off. The goal needs to be about pleasing God and not anybody else. Um, if, if we're trying to convince an audience to like us, um, you know, uh, First Peter 5 talks about how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So would you like God's help in preaching or would you prefer to be opposed by God in preaching? And Peter's saying, you basically have that choice, like cultivate pride in your heart and God will oppose you. Um, cultivate humility and God gives grace in that. Um, and so uh, this whole idea of um, caring about what people think too much. Obviously, we want to love the people that are there, but caring about what they think in a sense of I'm preaching so that these people will be happy or so that these people will like me um, is a total dead end. And so asking yourself that question explicitly, am I trying to please God or am I trying to please um, uh, the people that I'm speaking to? It's super important. So that's the first question. Second question, he says to ask yourself, do I genuinely love these people? Do I genuinely love these people? I mean, that's such an important question, right? Um, Jesus said the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or to love your neighbor as yourself. Like those are super important questions um, to be asking ourselves. Am I loving God and am I loving people? These are the key commands. The whole law is fulfilled in this, um, uh, Jesus says. And so that idea of just addressing our hearts and saying, okay, am I loving the people that I'm speaking to? Like, are they just an audience to me? Or do I actually love these people? Do I want them to connect with God? Do I, do I love them enough to tell them what God says to them, whether it's hard or whether it's encouraging, whatever that is? Um, a really important voice or a verse in this regard is the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, like, if I have the, the tongues of men and of angels, um, but I don't have love, then I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, if I, if I, if I know everything, but I, I don't have love, then like I am nothing. Like if I, if I sacrifice myself, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing. And so Paul's walking through, like you can say anything, tongues of men and of angels. If you could say everything in the most beautiful way possible, but you don't have love, you're just like a, a cymbal crashing. Um, there's this, this um, memorable story that friends of mine told where uh, Francis Chan uh, went back to the seminary that he was um, graduated from. 
and he got to preach. He preached on 1 Corinthians 13. And as he's talking about the noisy gong and the clanging cymbal, he pulled out from behind the pulpit um, uh, some pots and pans, and he started banging them together. Um, but as he's banging them together, he continues to preach. And so he continues on with this sermon while he's banging these pots and pans together. And then after a while pauses and says, this is you know the point Paul's making. Nobody's hearing your words. They could be eloquent. They could be theologically accurate, but nobody's hearing these because all they hear is the clanging and the banging of your pride um, or your lack of love in this situation. And um, super powerful illustration way to think about it. He, of course, didn't get invited back to speak again after that um, because the seminary is too uptight about things like that. But I think it's such a powerful, um, such a powerful picture um, of what Paul's saying that, that man, it, it's all your hard work and preparation, all of your cleverness theologically, um, all of your great skill in putting this thing together. If you're not sitting there with humility and with love for the people that you're preaching to, um, there's no point to be gained. You're just you're just making a loud noise, and and it's annoying and it's terrible. And so, ask yourself: Do I really love these people that I'm preaching to? Third question: Am I accurately teaching this passage? Now, that's that's like an important question. In some ways, in our previous course, we talked about how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Um, how to really get into like interpreting it accurately, correctly, like seeing what's really there, not just what we think is there. So all of that is super important. We've talked about that a little bit in this course too, um, but that's that's great. Now, you know, if you're asking it right before you go up to preach, um, it's a little bit too late. But I think it's it's the right question to be asking. Like, do I, am I have I done my work? Am I like for Second Timothy two fifteen? He says, "Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth." And that's a great question to be asking yourself. Have I like have I been rightly handling? the word of truth? Am I, am I doing what God's actually called me to here? Have I been faithful in that? Such an important question to be asking. Um, and of course, ask it early enough in your prep process that you're saying, yes, I've, I've committed myself to this. I've done my work. And maybe you haven't had as much time as you would like to work on the sermon. That happens often. Um, but still, have I been faithful to say, okay, God, what are you trying to say with this whole thing? So we're asking, um, am I accurately explaining the passage? Fourth question, am I depending on the Spirit's power or my cleverness? Man, this is a good question to be asking. Am I depending on the Spirit's power or on my cleverness? Um, it, it is so easy for someone that is gifted as a preacher and then for someone who, even just someone that gets comfortable with it. Like I, I don't consider myself uh, an amazing preacher by any means, um, but I put in a lot of time uh, to develop it and I continue wanting to develop. Even even for me, where I feel like, man, I'm, I'm not one of these natural people that just gets up there and it's just like, wow, that's amazing. Um, even for me, it's like I can get myself into a rut where it's like I know how to preach a sermon. Um, and, and I can imagine for someone like Francis, whose questions these are, right, where I think he really is gifted and anointed by the Spirit to preach in a way that, that goes beyond what most people um, are typically capable of doing. Um, I, I think that question, am I relying on my cleverness or am I relying on the power of the Spirit? Um, it should go without saying that um, what comes through the Spirit's empowerment is going to be so much better than our own meager uh, empowerment. First uh, Corinthians 1 and 2 talks all about like the difference between the spiritual man and the natural man, um, what we can accomplish on our own versus what the Spirit of God does through us. You read through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you see this empowerment of the Spirit of God through all these supernatural giftings, and the whole implication of it is God like uniquely gifts each of us and works through us in a way that something powerful happens that, that it goes way beyond what we could comp accomplish on our own. 
You can think of healing, um, you know, like, like, man, like even when a doctor can't address a tumor or something like that, God can heal that person, uses his spirit to heal that person. Think of speaking in tongues, gives uh, people a language they've never spoken before and speaks to them or interpretation and someone else can hear that and say, I don't know what that language at all, but I can tell you what that meant. Um, like he's saying this idea of, of speaking on God's behalf, there's this spiritual empowerment of um, to a supernatural degree, even though, yes, we can get up there and, and string words together. Yes, we might even be able to impress people with what we're saying, but that spiritual depth needs to come from the spirit. And so we have to, um, as we get ready to preach, prepare our hearts to preach, we have to keep coming back to God and saying, God, this has to be you doing this. Even if I feel great about my notes, like it's easy enough for me if I don't feel great about my notes, I put my sermon together. It's like, okay, Lord, this is, I guess what I ended up with. Um, would you please do something miraculous with this? And, and, and it's amazing to me how often he does when that happens. Um, it definitely happens more often than I wish that it would. Um, but also when I feel great about my notes, I have to sit back and say, Lord, please, like this could be absolutely nothing. It could be inconsequential. It could be a waste of everyone's time. Unless you are working through this, speak through me, Lord, do something powerful here. That's the kind of attitude we have to have coming into this whole thing. So question four is, am I depending on the spirit's power or my cleverness? Such an important question. Question five, have I applied this message to my own life? Man, another good question. Have I applied this message to my own life? Um, Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, his kind of young protege, he says in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The pressure in that, that call that Paul gives Timothy is keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Uh, like he, he calls uh, P, uh, Timothy in that passage to set an example in conduct and speech. Uh, like this is so important for us to not just talk about God, not just talk about godliness, not just talk about a relationship, but to live it out as an example. That's so, so important. So the invitation is, uh, have I applied this to my life? Now, of course, if you get a passage um, one week, say that the passage speaks about like generous giving or something like that. And you're like, man, I, I can give something right now, um, but I don't have a pattern of this. Ideally, you you just keep working on these things and you keep building a pattern and it, and it kind of grows over time. Um, that's really important to do. But yeah, sometimes you have to start, right? Like like maybe you get handed a passage, you don't have time to work on it. It's on fasting. Boy, I haven't fasted in a long time or ever. Um, and, and so we just do our best to apply what we can as we can. Um, but, but the call is to make sure, man, never preach something that you're not living. Um, and sure, you can preach on, um, you know, parenting or something if you don't have kids. I believe that's totally possible. So I think there's some um, nuance to some of this, but the whole point is, man, if we're sitting here preaching on humility and we haven't applied humility to our lives, um, it's going to be a train wreck, man. It's going to be a train wreck. And if you do have to preach that sermon and you have, um, you're convicted leading up to it that, man, I'm a prideful person, you better preach that sermon through tears of, I am begging God to um, bring humility into my life. And um, so, Application matters a ton. Make sure that we're applying the whole thing. Question six, will this message draw attention to me or to God? That is another great question. I love these questions. Will this message draw attention to me or to God? Like, who is this sermon for or about? Why am I even doing this? And I feel like it's so easy as a preacher to slip into a mode of, um, I want to preach well so that I look good. Or like as a pastor, I can tell you the temptations there. If I don't preach well enough, people aren't going to want to be part of this church, which means we're going to have budget problems, which means, you know, it'll be embarrassing to be a small church. Like all those um, honestly stupid considerations that actually end up meaning so much to a person and a pastor 
um, we, we just feel like we've got to get it done. And if I don't preach well enough, and so then the sermons become about me proving myself or they become about me trying to make um, uh, this church a place that people want to be at or something like that, man, no, we got to let go of all that and say, this, this is about God. And I want to call attention to God. Like at the end of it all, um, it, it's like people will always come up like, great job. That was awesome. You did well. And that's great. I don't think, I think it's kind of rude sometimes when we, oh, no, 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 don't, that wasn't me. That was all God. Um, sometimes you just say thank you graciously. Right. But we've got to know um, if that sermon went well, it's because the spirit of God empowered it. And well, I mean, even at the most basic level, if I have natural speaking gifts, God gave me those, right? Um, and then if I have super, supernatural empowered to do that, that's coming from the Spirit of God. So all of these things point back to God. And so for us, it has to be, even when someone you know said, tells us, hey, thank you, you did a great job this morning. Thank you for that. That's encouraging. Um, and and yeah, isn't God good? You know, we can just kind of point them around. And, and, um, and I guess all I'm trying to say with this is um, make sure that your motivation is to point to God, not to yourself. Make sure you try to catch the times when you find yourself like, honestly, if you, if you, if you're either like insanely excited after you preach a good sermon or you're devastated when you preach what you consider to be a bad sermon, um, if you're devastated by some criticism about your sermon, that's probably a decent indication that your sermon, your preaching is more about you than it is about God because, um, God's word does what he wants it to do. He tells us that in Isaiah 55, um, his word doesn't return to him void. It goes out and does what it accomplished, uh, set for it to accomplish. That's so such an important reminder for us to keep in mind all the time. If I'm devastated because it didn't go well, or I'm like, man, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Like, man, that didn't turn out great. Um, boo-hoo, who cares? Like, um, it's not about me. It's, it's about God. And so I'm going to try to do my best the next time around. Um, but hopefully because I want to honor God, not because I want to redeem myself or look better uh, in front of uh, people. All right. Last question. Um, Question seven, do these people desperately need this message? That is a great question to end on. Do these people, so if, as I'm prepping my heart as a preacher and as I'm getting ready for that thing, like, do these people like desperately need this? Is this so important that they need to be here? They need to hear this. Like that, that is a question that we should be asking because, um, you know, Paul talks in second Corinthians five about how like, basically he's begging people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Like there's these passionate calls throughout scripture to like hear, heed this message. If we're preaching something that people don't desperately need to hear, maybe we shouldn't be preaching it. Uh, maybe our heart's not in the right place. Maybe not. Like, I think all of scripture is God breathed. It's useful. Um, and so every passage we preach on, there should be an element in that of everyone desperately needs to hear this. So we should be able to get there. But if we can't get ourselves to understand the depth and the value and the urgency in this passage, then I think we're the ones that are missing it. So there's always an invitation to go deeper and to find what is urgent about this passage. What do people desperately need this week? Otherwise, we're just going to be giving those uh, informative things where we're giving them like historical background and we're giving them cool tips to live by. And um, there's not really anything substantial there. We've got to see in every passage, what is it that people need from this? Um, and ultimately, it's not that hard. What they need is an encounter with God. What they need is closeness to God. What they need is to submit themselves to the Spirit of God. What they need is to follow Jesus and be transformed by the gospel. So <clears throat> all of these um, considerations, um, I, I love these seven questions. Am I trying to please God or people? Do I genuinely love these people? Am I accurately explaining this passage? Am I depending on the Spirit's power or my cleverness? Have I applied this message to my own life? Will this message bring attention to me or to God? Do these people genuinely need this message? All these questions, they help us kind of prepare our hearts um, as we do it. 
and I would just add at the end of all that, just make sure that we're always stepping into the pulpit with authenticity. Like we're, we're being our true selves before the Lord. Doesn't mean we're not striving to be more or, or more godly or more Christ-like in what we do, but we're just bringing our whole selves. So we're not trying to prove something to God. We're not trying to prove something to our congregation. We're not even trying to prove something to ourselves. We're just going to step in with authenticity um, and try to just be faithful to God as we um, step into this whole thing, be truly ourselves in front of the people. We're not afraid of what they think of us. Um, We want to honor God. He's called us to this. He's chosen us for this. That's super important to keep in mind. And we're just going to do our absolute best as we preach. Now, second major point, after we're um, considering like evaluating our our motivations, um, be sure that we're operating in God's strength rather than our own. We talked about this a little bit in one of Francis's questions, but reminder, we desperately need God's empowerment for our preaching. Um, It's not about how how clever we are. It's not about how entertaining entertaining we are. Um, It's about standing there and it's about the power of God working through us. Every sermon becomes then, if if this is true, if we we believe that we need the spirit of God to speak through us as we preach, every sermon becomes an opportunity to confess our pride and ask the spirit of God to work through us. John Piper says it like this, how utterly dependent we are on the Holy Spirit in the work of preaching. All genuine preaching is rooted in a feeling of desperation. You wake up on Sunday morning and you can smell the smoke of hell on one side and feel the crisp breezes of heaven on the other. You go to your study and look down at your pitiful manuscript and you kneel down and cry, God, this is so weak. Who do I think I am? What audacity to think that in three hours, my words will be the odor of death to death and the fragrance of life to life. My God, who is sufficient for these things? And then John Piper uh, quotes Phillips Brooks here um, saying, he used to counsel these young preachers saying, never allow yourself to feel equal to your work. If you ever find that spirit growing on you, be afraid. I think that's such a good reminder. I mean, he's, he's super dramatic as John Piper is, um, but I think in the best possible way. Who is sufficient for these things? How, who, do I, who do I think I am to be able to stand here and explain the things of God to these people? These, these people, these beautiful people made in the image of God, these intelligent people, these people who are more loving than I will ever be in many ways, um, these people who have experienced suffering and pain, these people who have been walking with God for decades, or these people who have just been called um, into a relationship with God. Who do I think I am to explain all this to these people? Um, such a good question to be asking and then to realize, okay, uh, I'm not sufficient for this. I need God's strength. And he does make us sufficient. And, and his power is made perfect always in weakness. So John Piper gives five steps then for seeking to preach in the strength of God. Um, his first one, admit to the Lord your utter helplessness without him. Second is pray for help. Um, the third is trust God. Um, so he says, like, with regard to praying for help, he says, um, I beg for the insight, power, humility, love, memory, and freedom I need to preach this message. Just God help me in this. Um, with regard to trusting, he says, um, I trust not merely in a general way in God's goodness, but in a specific promise in which I can bank my hope for that hour. And so that those are the first three. The, the fourth um, step for preaching in the strength of God, he says, is act in the confidence that God will fulfill his word. And here he quotes Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, which is, um, you know, that God's word doesn't return void. It accomplishes what he sends it to do. The fifth one, he says, thank God. So he says, at the end of the message, I express gratitude that he has sustained me and that the truth of his word and the purchase of his cross have been preached in some measure in the power of his spirit to the glory of his name. What a beautiful, um, reminder. And, and I think those are great steps. I, I, I don't like follow them one, two, three, four, five, but I think each of them is great advice for saying, I need to seek uh, the Lord to help me in this whole thing. 
Um, I, I think as we go, as we try to do this, the more that we ask for the Spirit's empowerment, empowerment, the more we'll be able to recognize His work. It's easy to take credit um, for a great sermon if you haven't been begging the Spirit of God to work in it. But when you've been begging God to work and then He does, you recognize, oh, that wasn't me. That was God doing that. Um, it's so, so important. If we've spent this whole the whole week like preparing, um, and, and as we've been preparing, we've been begging God to work, we're going to be less likely to take credit for the success or to be devastated by the failure because we've been in this communion with God where we're asking Him to work. Uh, I think when we're asking Him to work, like we just recognize... Uh, like, honestly, at the end of the day, asking the Spirit of God to work, recognizing, like, we don't usually get to see the fruit. There's so much fruit to God's Word going out that we don't get to see. Um, it's easy for me to fall into a trap of, was that a good sermon or a bad sermon? And I weigh it based on how many people said good sermon to me today. Um, did, you know, did people say you know say anything about it in the week following, like, um, or, or like good or bad, right? And that, that's like my standard for like, was this good or not? Did it succeed or not? I think the reality is the way that seeds planted um, work and, and like the analogy in Isaiah 55 is just like the rain goes out and it waters the earth. It doesn't, you know, come back empty. It does what it was intended to do. It waters the earth and growth happens slowly. That's what God's word is. Like it goes out and it accomplishes what he sends it for it to do. The way that rain works is it, it's not instant. You don't, you don't get instant gratification, but it, it soaks in, it, it begins to spur life. Um, and then there's fruit that comes eventually from that. I, I think our preaching is the same way. So don't be devastated um, as you preach if you don't hear good comments. And don't be overly uh, excited if you hear good comments. I mean, it's great. Encouragement is super, super important, but um, just know that most of the fruit of our preaching we'll never get to see. Uh, in, in heaven, we, we, we probably get some kind of a rundown or some sense of uh, what God uh, allowed us to do as he worked through us. Um, but, but it's really important to kind of just make sure, hey, we are dependent on the Spirit. We're not going to see all the fruit of it right now. That's okay. All right, the third major um, uh, point that I have here is we're preparing our hearts to preach is develop a burden for the sermon and for the people. So a burden for the sermon, meaning this message matters. I've got a burden on my shoulders with regard to this message that I need to deliver. Also develop a burden for the people themselves. Like I love these people and I need to care for them. So First of all, remember that preaching is like an actual serious business, okay? Now, I'm not trying to like stress everybody out that preaches, but here's here's where this comes from. James 3, 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Those are devastating words. I mean, those are so hard. Um, don't be eager to be a teacher. Don't take it lightly. Like this is a significant task. There's a stricter judgment that comes when we open our mouths to say, hey, let me tell you who God is or what he's like or how life works. Um, so there's a special trust that comes when we preach. And that's the same thing if, if we're preaching in a, in a pulpit in a, in a Sunday morning service or if we're preaching in a Bible study or whatever the context is, there's a special trust that's given. And so just make sure that we like approach it with some gravity of like, hey, this matters. Um, even if the setting is really informal, what we're doing when we preach really matters. Um, Take each sermon seriously enough that when it's time to stand and deliver, you've already developed a burden for the passage. Um, I'm going to quote Otis Moss here. <clears throat> he says, the prophets um, seek to paint a new world with the toolkit of oral performance, imagination, and keen intellectual investigation. In the process of painting this new world, the prophet is altered by the weight of the heavy, elusive nature of the word he or she carries. 
We cannot help but be bruised and blessed by the weight of the sacred task before us. The word is so heavy that it leaves marks upon our shoulders, just as bruises were left upon the Israelites who carried the ark across the desert of Canaan. The word cuts and leaves scars upon our body, fissures in our minds, as we seek to handle what cannot truly be handled. I love that. I mean, putting the preacher in this prophetic role and just saying, as we carry the word of God to the people, it should leave bruises. It should leave marks, you know, in the same way of carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to leave bruises on your shoulders. You're lifting up this heavy, significant object. He's just saying, um, man, as we handle the word of God and as we carry the burden of it, it should change us. It should alter us. Uh, like, I even love the thought of it leaving bruises and fissures. Um, it's just a good visual of the word of God is going to do something to us. It's not all going to be pleasant, right? We're going to be convicted. Um, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be mourning in some ways. Uh, we'll also be rejoicing and excited, but it should alter us as we carry that message. It's such an important thought. Um, if, if you come to the, the, the sermon time and the passage means little to you, it's, you don't have much hope of it meaning a lot to the people that you're preaching to. Um, certainly we're not going to be applying every passage perfectly by the time we get there, but we need to make sure the passage means a lot to us. Um, and so I think, you know, there's going to be some passages you relate to more than others, but if we really believe second Timothy three sixteen that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, if every, if all scripture is like that, then every passage that we preach, um, should have an impact on us before, during, and after we preach, uh, the, the sermon, um, and so, I, you know, finally here, I just want to say, remind yourself before each sermon who you're preaching to and ask God to give you a burden for them. So not just the passage, but as we come to those people, it's asking Francis' Francis's question, do I really love these people? Um, and it's so important. The, the, the congregation is not our audience. Like, let's get that out of our heads. The congregation is not our audience. They're not there for my self-esteem. They don't exist for my gratification. Um, they're not there so that I have someone to listen to my sermon. Um, we want to develop a heart for those people. Each sermon should be an act of love. And so we got to pray that God would fill our hearts with love, pray, fill our hearts with care for these people, fill our hearts with concern for every person that's there. Many of them, you'll know if you get to preach to the same group of people over and over, many of them you won't, but just praying that God would flood your heart with love for these people and make the sermon an act of love rather than an act where I demonstrate my giftedness or my knowledge. And these people are the ones that affirm that like, yes, I am good at what I do. Um, that's nonsense and we need to drop it. And so they're not an audience. Um, they're a congregation since they're gathered together by God, but even more than that, I mean, they should be a family, right? And they're image bearers of God and they're empowered by the spirit of God. Um, and, and it's an act of love for us to get to serve them like that. My fourth main point as we prepare our hearts to preach is uh, you can never pray enough. Now I've said this, uh, I've been harping on this throughout the whole thing, but it is so important. You can never pray enough. Prayer is necessary when we prepare our sermons. It's necessary when we preach. We have to just get our, ourselves to the spot where our hearts are properly re- related to God, where our hearts are properly related to the people that we're about to serve through our preaching. Um, Charles Spurgeon says it like this, the minister who does not earnestly pray over his work must surely be a vain and conceited man. He acts as if thought uh, as if he thought himself sufficient of himself and therefore needed not to appeal to God. So I love the bluntness. Spurgeon saying, if you find yourself not praying in preparation for preaching, then you are arrogant and there's no other way to look at it. You are arrogant. You think, you seem to think that you don't need God's help in this. And so you cannot pray enough in your sermon prep and you cannot pray enough as you're just developing your heart as a preacher. Um, It's a special task you're given to do. And so Lord, help me. Lord, be with me. Lord, continue to shape me. Lord, make me the kind of person um, that, that is trustworthy for you to deliver these messages to these people. 
Um, man, that's so, so important. Like if we're going to see lives transformed, we need God working through us. Um, we need to invite God's wisdom. We need to invite God's empowerment. We need to invite God's guidance in our preaching and in our prep and all those things. All right. Fifthly, we want to step into preaching with the confidence of our call and our gifting. Um, and now this is a little different. Some of these have been like warnings, you know, make sure you pray, make sure you're not arrogant. Um, here, I'm trying to say, make sure that you have confidence in your calling from God to do this and in the gifting that God's given you. Now, if you're just starting out in preaching, that's harder to do, right? Because you you don't have a full sense. Maybe you haven't been tested. Maybe you're not really sure about your gifting. Um, but at the very least, if you're given an opportunity to preach, this is God entrusting you with that sermon, right? And so just saying, Lord, you've called me to this. You've given me this opportunity. I don't believe you would do this without you being here with me. Um, and so the, the invitation there is to say, okay, I believe, God, if you're calling me to this, that you're going to work through it. Um, so we have to always stay humble before God. We have to always stay dependent on him, on him when we preach. Um, but I think it's just acknowledging like, okay, God, like you've, you've brought me here. You've called me to this. Um, I'm going to be faithful to, to honor that. Um, I, I don't think we honor God by downplaying the gifts he's given us. When someone comes up and says, great sermon, I don't think we honor God by being like, no, it was garbage. No, I'm garbage. You know, God made you and God uh, gave you the gifts to preach. And so um, being able to like acknowledge the goodness of what God has made in when he made you, uh, the goodness of what God put in you with these gifts and the goodness of maybe what he did when you preach is super important. First um, Corinthians 12, I think is super fascinating here because Paul talks about a bunch of different giftings that the spirit of God gives. Um, and, and we're like a body, he says. And he, he, he says like, no part of the body should lament that God has made them one way and not another way. Okay. So like, he's like, you know, don't be like, oh, I'm not an eye. I'm just a foot, you know? So he's like, don't lament that. Like you are the part of the body that God made you to be. That's important. The second warning he gives is that no part of the body should be, um, should discourage another part of the body because God made them one way and not another. So on that front, it's saying you don't look at someone else's gifting and say, that's not good enough, or that's a terrible gift to have. You should have this instead. I think there's a twofold thing there. One is it's people excluding others and saying your gift is not good enough. Um, don't serve here. And I think that unfortunately happens often in churches. The other way of looking at it is um, that there's a, um, we look at ourselves and our own gifting and we downplay and sideline our own gifts because we wish we had a different kind of a gift. Um, Paul's calling us to say, Hey, each of you is gifted in different ways. Acknowledge that gifting, accept it, like embrace each other's giftings and then, um, stop lamenting that you don't have a different kind of gift. Use the gift that God has. And when we use the gifts that God gives us, that's honoring to God. It's so important. Um, God works through our weaknesses. So even if you feel like, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know how to do this. I do feel weak in this. Recognize that that is still, if you feel weak in your gifting, there's actually a huge opportunity there because God works through weaknesses. He tells us that specifically in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Paul is like lamenting his weakness and God's like, no, my power is made perfect in weakness. And, and so Paul comes to this point of saying, okay, I, when I'm weak, I'm strong because that's when God's going to work through my weaknesses. So we got to trust that God does things differently than we do. You may not feel sufficient for it. Um, but if God's given you an opportunity, if God's called you to it, then um, he's going to do something and he can do something. This is the beautiful reminder. He can do something through your weakness. In fact, he says that's how he loves to work is taking something that's weak and working through that. Um, that is such a powerful, powerful reminder that we need to keep in mind as we um, try to cultivate humility, but recognize, okay, God's going to do something through this. Um, I, I think just this idea that like 
taking confidence in the fact that that God is the one that chooses us, uh, chooses to use us for preaching. Like, here's the thing: God could have spoken directly into everyone's hearts. He could be like, everyone just read your Bibles, but God set it up so that we preach to each other. We speak truth to each other. Like that's how God decided to do it. There's, there's commands in the Bible to preach. Now it doesn't have to look like standing behind a pulpit, but the idea of one human being speaking God's truth to another on his behalf, that was God's idea that he set that up. And so we have to trust that that's how he wants to work. Um, Otis Moss is talking about this, this man, Gardner Taylor. So here's what he says. This is quoting Otis Moss. It's Gardner Taylor in his Beecher lecture who said, the foliage of Connecticut is better equipped to communicate the gospel than the voice of someone who is human. And and now here's Otis Moss is going to comment on that. But yet God trusts us. It would be better for a sunrise to talk about the beauty of God than myself or anyone reading this book. It would be better for a tree to communicate the beauty of God than us. But God trusts us. Taylor says that this is the foolishness of preaching, that God would use somebody who does not have the capacity to fully communicate and is so deeply broken. But it is in these moments when you take that which you have and you give it to God, it is when you give it to God, God will do something unique and new in the process. I love that. I mean, on on one hand, yeah, a tree planted there is a better preacher of the gospel uh, than we are because it it doesn't sin, does exactly what God created it to do. Um, there's a beauty and an elegance in it that speaks to God's design and whatever. So why not just let creation preach and us just keep our mouths shut? But he's saying, hmm, God's put that gift in you. He's made, giving that calling. Um, let's make sure that we use it. All right, my last point, my last major point here, number six, don't attach your value to your perception of your sermon's success. Now, I've already hinted at this a little bit, but this is so important. As we're trying to develop our hearts as preachers, we've got to separate our value from our own perception of whether or not we succeeded or failed. Um, I'll just tell you as a preacher, Sunday afternoon, Monday morning can feel really discouraging at times. Um, Like, here's here's the thing. You can't ever uh, count on accurate feedback. Sometimes you can't count on any feedback at all. There's times where you just literally don't hear a word about your sermon, Um, and, and, and that's that's just the way it is. Or when people do tell you things about it, um, I've had the you know sweetest old ladies in the world. Um, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. And then you hear that like from their mouth a bunch of times to you and to other people. And you're like, I think this person is just an enthusiastic old lady and she's very sweet and appreciates the gifts of God. Um, I don't think that means I actually preach the best sermon uh, that this world has ever heard, right? So our, the feedback isn't always accurate. The criticisms we hear, sometimes they're they're just off the wall, you know? Sometimes it's like, some specific thing that person was wrestling in with or some pet doctrine or some thing that person's fixated on, or they really uh, clue into people saying, um, a bunch of times. And so they're really distracted. Feedback is often inaccurate. So we have to be careful um, with that. Often you, you feel like you didn't do a very good job, but um, even when people say things negative, discouraging, like just recognize, okay, hang on, I got to step back from this. My value is not tied to uh, how well I think my sermon did, because I could be way off on that, and the people that are talking to me about it could be way off on that too. Um, always remember that preaching is not about boosting our self-esteem. So anytime we find ourselves preaching in order to provide a sense of attachment, like a, like you're attached to me, you're part of this church because we've got good preaching, and I'm, I don't know, I'm part of that. Like Anytime we do that, anytime we're trying to achieve something, anytime we're trying to gain popularity, anytime we're trying to gain respect or praise, basically when we do these things, we're missing the heart of what preaching is. And we need to repent in those moments. When we find ourselves doing it to gain some notoriety or to look a certain way or to feel a certain way, we got to repent of that. Um, 
if you feel what, what preachers often call the Monday morning blues, like when you feel that, it's a great reminder to like recalibrate your heart to God and just ask like, God, change my motivations. Um, direct me back to what's actually important. Um, I think God is finds his own ways to encourage us. And um, like, but I think the thing, thing is God never promises like, um, hey, while you do my work, I'm gonna make sure you feel really great about it. Like that's, that's unfortunately that promise isn't in the Bible. Now we'll have joy, we'll have peace, like all these things. Um, but he's, there's no promises of like, everything will go great all the time. And so just kind of keeping an, ourselves calibrated to what God feels and what God's calling us to. Um, and and instead of just being devastated by criticism. And on the other side, if you feel great about your sermon, um, that is not a good excuse for you to start feeling pride or start strutting or whatever, right? Um Often our perceptions aren't aligned with what God's actually doing or what he wants to do. And so um, just handing that to the Lord too, when we do good, Lord, um, thank you for that and, and continue to shape me and use that. Please use it, Lord. It's not enough on its own. Um, I, I think, you know, back to uh, that comment I read from John Piper earlier, there's no way of measuring the impact of our preaching. So when you don't see the fruit of it, just recognize, okay, I, I trust that seeds are planted and God's going to work. Um, John Piper says it like this, you can mark it down that if you are a preacher, God will hide from you much of the fruit he causes in your ministry. You will see enough to be assured of his blessing, but not so much as to think you could live without it. For God aims to exalt himself, not the preacher. Man, those are important words. Um, so much that we don't get to see. And, and he's, he's writing, John Piper's written all these biographies on, um, on pastors over the years and, and seeing, like, when you write a biography on something, you can see how much they struggled with um, this ministry isn't, isn't having an impact. What am I doing? Um, but uh, the biographer can has the advantage of history to see, yes, and this person had a massive impact. And it's crazy that they didn't see everything that God um, did through it. And he's just reminding us, like, it, there's things God's doing that we're not going to be able to see or understand or quantify. And it might even look um, discouraging to you. But just trust that God's working. He, it's like... God calls us to be faithful. He does not call us to achieve results. Um, He doesn't give us a metric by which we could even rate results that we get, um, define success in that sense. So there's the, in the Bible, there's the prophet Jeremiah, right? Who goes out and he preaches his entire career and there's not a single convert and it's just this hard life for him, but he was faithful to preach God's word. He's held up as an example of faithfulness. On the flip side, there's Jonah who didn't want to go to Nineveh and uh, went begrudgingly. And um, when he went, he preached a simple sermon to repent, and then everyone did repent. So we had this mass conversion, um, one of the most successful preachers of all time, and yet he was sat down and pouted afterwards because he was sad that God was healing these people, restoring them, um, forgiving them. And so um, faithfulness is more important than success in ministry, and uh, we're called to do that. God takes care of the results. Um, and I would just say, to, to kind of close this off, um, as you, we're kind of working on our hearts as preachers, after every sermon, just make sure you talk to God about it, whether it's good or bad, just like pray that God would take the seeds we planted and watered, like, or the seeds we watered in our sermon and just like God bring growth through all that. Um, ask God to speak to us about how the sermon went. Um, ask him to allow us to see ourselves the way that he sees us. Um, and and th- these things matter. Um, at the end of the day, you'll either get praise or you won't. Um, you get encouragement or you won't. You'll get criticism or you won't. The thing that matters is like talking to God about it. Like, Lord, what, what, how do you feel about this? And, and feedback matters, like, like talking to each other about how we're doing, helping each other improve that all matters so much. But, um, uh, at the end of the day, it, we're doing it uh, again, not for ourselves, but for God. And, and so just talking to him about it and, and allowing 
our sermons, our successes or failures in that, <clears throat> allowing those things to be an opportunity for us to draw back closer to God's heart is beautiful. So there we go. We have uh, one final session left, and um, that whole thing um, is going to be all about just developing ourselves as preachers, um, investing ourselves in a process of improving um, and, and getting better in our craft. And um, I think that if we're called to this, that's an important thing to invest in, and we'll explore that in our next and final session.